Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle, huddle, up, huddle, up, huddle up. on Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. I am John Schmelk. As the Giants get ready to take their trip to London to take on the Packers, I figured I want to get a little bit of flavor of where the Giants are headed. For that, we're going to be joined by a couple of guys from the Irish NFL show, a podcast that originates out there in the UK. Brian O'Leary joins us first. His one of his partners, Mark Cockrell, will join us about halfway through the show to go around the league. But Brian's a longtime Giant fan, as you can see from the jacket. And I figure no one better than to, you know, talk some Giants football with him. Before we get started, just a reminder, the Giants Little Podcast is presented by PSENG, energy efficiency for game time. And anytime, Brian, it's good to talk to you, man. I'm going to be in your neck of the woods in a couple of days here. I'm excited. Jonathan, it's great to be with you. We spoke briefly in May when the uh, initial schedule was released and we got confirmation in which the Giants were, were traveling over to face the Packers this weekend. It's it's a unique game in a, in a way because it's the 32nd game to be played in London and Packers are the 32nd team to travel. The Finally, the, the, the set is complete in terms of all 32 teams playing. And this is the first time in which we've had two teams with a winning record coming to London. Uh, after all these years. And Is that I, true? It's I, the first time? Yeah. What a crazy start. And I'd imagine at the start of the season, I don't think, Giants fans included, I don't think many of us would have expected both teams to be going there with a winning record. But as the first month has, has progressed, it's been, a, it's been a great start for us anyway. Yeah, no question about it. And by the way, tell the folks, Brian, where they can find the Irish NFL show if they're interested. Yeah, the Irish NFL show... Um, came together in during COVID in October 2020. And uh, we've had a fantastic run in terms of guests. We had Joe Shane on the show during during the summer. We've actually had um, every team represented on the show who are traveling over to, to the UK to play in the games. Uh, there's four of us on the show, two Broncos fans, a Giants fan and a Patriots fan who will be joining us shortly. And uh, that's what the nature of the show really is. To We recognize that the sport has grown across Ireland, UK and Europe. And we felt that we could put a show on each week that would connect with the fans this side of the world. Um, we do three live shows a week, Monday, Thursday and uh, Friday evening, which we, where, where we preview the weekend's games. And we've been fortunate to have some great guests on, on the show throughout the course of the 18 months across the league, whether it's players, coaches, GMs, and they recognise the, the hard work we've We've done, we've had great commitment from the NFL itself. We were fortunate to be at the Super Bowl in February, uh, with media accreditations. Um, we've been to the, a number of uh, games in the UK with media accreditation. We were there on Sunday for the Vikings Saints, which was a, 
quite a, a decent second half, not, not so much a good first half. And again, we'll be there on Sunday doing a live show at Tottenham uh, ahead of us being in the media area. So uh, it's quite a whirlwind story for four guys who were doing separate podcasts that kind of amalgamated into one and became the Irish NFL show. That's awesome. Um, and I want to get into more of the NFL popularity, you know, in, in the UK and Ireland in general, when we get Mark on later on in the program. Just out of curiosity, Brian, how'd you become a Giants fan? I'm probably showing my age here, but uh, I actually started sporting the Giants in 86, the year in which we won our fourth Super Bowl against the Broncos. Uh, I was fortunate to have a number of holidays stateside when I was young. My parents had some uh, Irish friends who who moved to the States and essentially spent their the remaining years of their life out there. So we, we went to a number of different locations throughout the course of the years. And I just happened to get into the NFL when I was over there in in the late 80s. And as it happened, the Giants were having a successful run under Bill Parcells. And, and it never went away after that and continued to support them throughout the years. The the coverage here was quite limited um early 90s, but it kind of grew. And then Sky Sports, I'm sure you've heard of at this stage, has a dedicated NFL channel over here. We've accessed NFL Network. Essentially, we've got all the access to every station in which the guys in the States have the fans of every team. And I've been over to see the Giants in the old Giants stadium, um, MetLife. I've gone to a few road games and then obviously the games when, when they come to London, which is a lot more convenient because you can travel <laughs> from, from where I live in Dublin, Ireland to travel to London on Sunday. It's only 50 minute, a 15 minute flight. And the biggest difficulty us fans this side of the world have is is the time difference. Um, as you can imagine, when you're watching games on a, on a Sunday, the six o'clock slate, and well, we call it the six o'clock slate, which is the one o'clock slate, and the four twenty slate, which is half nine in the evening, are fine. But um, if you're really passionate and you're you're leading into Sunday night football, where the game commences at one twenty-five a.m. till four thirty, and then you're trying to get up for work on a Monday morning. That's right. And for me, as two young children as well, trying to manage getting them to school, it can be tough going, but um, it is what it is. It's a passion. It's, it's a passion for the sport. It's a passion for the Giants, and I wouldn't change it for the world. No, nah, it's awesome. It's fantastic. And trust me, I, I get it. I have a five-month-old and a five-year-old at home, so I'm with you. No, those those, yeah. those mornings are not easy, let alone when you're on three hours of sleep. Uh, all right, so let's get into it. You mentioned it, Brian. Your thoughts on the three-and-one start here? Pleasantly surprised. Um, I think... When Joe Shane and Brian Dable came in um, during the offseason, they made it very clear, and I think it was very transparent to most support, most fans of the team that there was a rebuild that needed to be done. We were left in a you know a difficult situation cap in terms of the cap salary. There was a lot of work that needed to erode a, a deficit there. We we were unfortunate and we lost a good player, James Bradbury, for example, because of the, because of the salary situation. And um, I, I think Joe Shane has to be commended that we've been put in a position already where we're. We're not necessarily challenging, because I think I think most fans would would recognise that things are good, but we have a difficult schedule ahead of us this weekend. The Ravens, there's other tougher games to come, but to be in a rebuild and yet we're in a position where we're winning games is is is, is very good because we haven't had a lot to be uh, I suppose happy about over the past four to five years. So to be winning games, and I recognise we're we're playing teams essentially I would imagine at our, at our level, give or take, in terms of the Bears and the Panthers, in which we've beaten. The Titans game was, you could argue, was a surprise, but to some people during the off season that felt the Titans were going to take a slight drop off this season. And I think last week against the Cowboys, whilst we played reasonably well, I think we found our feet in terms of what's, what's going to come when we play better teams. But overall, I mean, for, for what we have 
um, in terms of the roster to be winning games. And it, it shows the commitment the players are showing to both Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, Wink Martin, then and all the coaching staff. It's not just those three guys, there's other guys there in the back room. But to see, and it, it, you could recognize it when you watch the off season voluntary camps and then when we came to training camps, the same kind of tone, the same kind of messages were coming out for the players, how, how they were enjoying being around this managerial team, both from the, the front office to the to coaching. And it's 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 coming it's coming across on the pitch and what's we might win and a, a lot of games potentially this season. Who knows how the season will progress? I think I think every Giants fan recognizes that there's a great commitment from all the players out there. Yeah, no question about it. And first and foremost, offensively, Brian. I mean, Saquon Barkley has been phenomenal. I mean, easily the best offensive player on the team. I mean, I, I haven't gone back and done the math, but I know for at least two of the games he's accounted for half the team's total yards, and in at least two of the four games. Uh, his presence and his overall impact on the game ha- has just been phenomenal. Your thoughts on Saquon Barkley and his impact so far? Johnny's 463 yards. He's the leading rusher in the league. And a lot of people felt there would be a bounce back this season. He came out, he was quite vocal. He was kind of a different Saquon when he did some of the press conferences leading up to the start of the season. He was a little bit more vocal than what we're used to seeing. He, he seems like a quite a reserved type of character, but he was kind of adamant that he was he was really expecting himself to be back and shown the shown the form which we saw in, in his first year. I think the difference um, I found is he's he's running between the tackles strong. He's you know we're used to seeing him trying to avoid players and I wouldn't say you know kind of take a step back, take you know take a left, take a right. He seems to be very focused on just running between the tackles. The offensive line is has improved. I had a difficult night against Cowboys, but that's to be expected when you're a new offensive line. And, He's had great help from them already, and it's he just seems like a different player. He seems so committed. To, he, he's he's it's very clear that he has a great love for the Giants, and I think he wants to prove to other people outside of the organization to have doubt with him during his difficult time and once he's had those injuries. Yeah, no, yeah, no question about it. And he and he's been phenomenal, and I think what impresses me too is how the Giants, even when it's not Saquon Bryant getting the yards, especially last week against Chicago, the threat of Barkley has opened up so much in this offense, all those play action bootlegs last week, everything off of play action. And I think you have to tip your cap to the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball too, that they've been able to at least be competent and, and get to 20 points a game um, given the issues at wide receiver, some of the protection issues where Barkley's presence has, has really opened up the game in general. Yeah. And just on Daniel Jones, like we, we've all known for quite some time that when he gets outside the pocket, he's got the legs to be, you know, he can be utilized as a, in a run-pass option type scenario. Not necessarily seeing them, but we are seeing the bootlegs. And that's, for me, is, to your point, a lot of people are so focused defensively, are so focused on making sure that they can stop Saquon Barkley, that these other avenues and opportunities for the team are there, such as Daniel on Sunday running in two touchdowns. I mean, we have seen that in, in at times over the course of the last three, four years, but it hasn't been consistent enough. And many a Giants fan has been saying, Daniel Jones has great speed. He's got, you know, he's got the ability to be, a running quarterback in this league, but yeah, we felt he wasn't being utilized enough. And we're, we're seeing very early on, I mean, 70, 74 yards last week against the Cowboys, 68 on Sunday against against the Bears. Like, they're high numbers. Bearing in mind, for an example, Derek Henry was held to 82 against the Giants in week one, and we have a quarterback running for similar numbers. Yeah, no question about it. And now this week, heading into the game against the Packers, as we turn the page here a little bit, 
We don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position. You know, as of this recording, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. And if you see me jump up and down, by the way, I do have the Yankee game on in the background. If Aaron Judge hit 62. So I'll warn everybody ahead of time. If you see me go, ah, that's why. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they use to decide whether or not Jones can play, right? Because he might be healthy enough to play, but is he healthy enough to be a threat with his legs? And then does that fit with what they're trying to do in the offense? So I think they'll have a very tough decision here, Brian. Not only, you know, they'll the doctors are telling him if he's healthy enough to play, but then the coaches have to decide, can he be mobile enough and move well enough for them to execute the game plan with his level of health? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's an example there already with Daniel Jones. I think it was two seasons ago when under Joe Judge where we played against the Cardinals at home, having come off the Bengals row yep. game in which he pulled his hamstring. And he came back and everybody felt he came back a little bit too soon. And then we understood at the time the rationale as to what he wanted him to play. But the offense that day, I think we only scored six points and we were, well, we were comfortably beaten by the Cardinals. And they, the offense game plan was completely out the window in a sense because without Jones in a position to be effective in their own game, it takes away a lot. And where we are, unfortunately, with wide receivers at the moment, was the players that are there are, are playing really well, and you have to commend them for how good they've, they've done. I mean, James, for example, was was brought in essentially to be a special teams player. He's now one of our number one receivers right now. Kenny Stills was, has been on and off the roster for a couple of years. He's cemented himself this season, but you would recognise they're not marquee wide receivers. We've had the Sterling Shepherd injury, unfortunately, means he's gone for the season. It'd be great to see one day Robinson back, and right now, at the time of recording, we don't know whether Kadarius Tony is going to be available on Sunday. And he's a bit of an enigma, unfortunately, because not many fans seem to know exactly what the nature of the injury is week in, week out with, with him, unfortunately. But when he is on the field, he's electric, he's dynamic, he's the kind of player that fits into what we're trying to do with his offense because Kafka seems to want, he's the type of player that was, we saw what Kafka and Andy Reid and the Chiefs organization can do with players like Tyreek Hill. I wouldn't necessarily put Tony in that category, but he has similarities, and you can see why when he's on the field, he could stretch, he could certainly stretch the offense and allow the defense on the other team to be thinking about other scenarios. Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, I think when you take a look at this wide receiver core, I think, still think they're trying to figure it out, right? I mean, last week, and I think Brian heading into the year, we both would have said, boy, I don't know about this tight end group. You know, they don't have a lot of experience. Tanner Hudson comes in late. You have Myrick, you have Bellinger, the rookie who's going to, you know, take some time to get used to the NFL. Then all of a sudden you get to week four and they're running out three tight ends at the same time. A lot of double tight ends. They had the triple tight ends and that 13 personnel. And they really went to the tight ends last week and used that as a weapon as they're still trying to figure out kind of what this wide receiver group is, who's going to play and, and who's going to be used in what roles. Yeah. I mean, you can see essentially as well in the run game, how they're scheming with two or three, two or three tight ends and they're at a particular times in terms of trying to stack the line to make sure there is a, a gap which makes available for Saquon. But you've also seen Bellinger, the way he moves off in terms of he looks like he's in a blocking a blocking scenario and he's able to get himself free to the court to touchdown, for example, against the Panthers was an exact science in terms of fake handoff, you know, and then he gets out to the side and and we need to see more of them. Like the, you can 10, 15 yard, 20 yard completions are key in, in key for this team right now to allow the drives to continue. We don't want to if we get into a three and out scenario in, continuously on Sunday against the Packers team and once Packers offense has been a bit erratic, shall we say, this season. I think they're still reeling from the loss of Devontae Adams. He hasn't seemed to find their feet. We need we need to be putting the points on Sunday. This is the kind of game I don't think I don't think we're suited to win a game 
70 and 14 against this Packers team, I think we need to be putting up at least 24, 27 potentially. Yeah, to your point, and I think you make a great point. You know, the Giants this year, 21 points against Tennessee, 16 points against Carolina, 16 or 19 points against Carolina, pardon me, 16 points against Dallas, and then the 20 points against Chicago. I'm with you. I think minimum 23, 24, if you want a realistic shot here this week, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like Wink Martindale has done a fantastic job on defense. The great thing I feel about the defense is there's players there that are, we see players get big contracts in the league and they don't necessarily prove their worth. Like they go off, they get these big contracts from free agency. He's brought in players such as Tony Jefferson, Jaheed Ward, Justin Ellis, not household names, but they've all played under Wink Martindale in Baltimore at some stage during their career. They recognize the work in which he wants from the player. They understand, they understand the schemes in which he's trying to do. The players in the secondary, like he's there's so many moving parts. He has three safety, strong safety, essentially coming up to play linebacker at times. Like, and then you see, like in the Panthers game in particular, Baker Mayfield didn't really know what was coming him at times. Like Julian, Julian Novotny with the delayed sack that essentially kind of killed off the game for uh, Daniel Jones ran for the first down. He has a defense playing as a group. Dory Jackson for me has been a standout player. Like there was a lot of scrutiny on him coming into the season, especially with James Bradbury leaving. Could he be a number one cornerback? I mean, his tackling skills at the line of scrimmage this season have been really impressive. His yeah. communication in the backfield has been fantastic. It's just an overall core of players that there's not a massive amount of big names in the defense, but collaboratively as a group, you're seeing a great sense of urgency to understand what's, what's been asked from Wink Martindale. And Dexter Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence has stepped up. Uh, Zimene is who for a lot of people felt he may not make the roster. He could be one of the potential cuts. He's playing really well, so... It's just great to see an, an amalgamation of players coming together and playing as a unit because I think for the, there's been such a disconnect both offensively and defensively over the past few years. It's it, The transition so quickly has been really good. Yeah, and I think I'm impressed too, Brian, and how much Wink has really altered his game plan from week to week. I think his reputation coming from Baltimore, and some of it deservedly so, was you know cover one, cover zero, blitz, a lot of man-to-man. But he's really, really varied his coverage from week to week. And I do think he has adjusted what he does to the talent on the roster pretty well week to week. He made a great point to me, um, and I, it sticks in my mind. He says, let's not have an offense dictate to us. Let's dictate to the offense, you know, and let's go out on the, on the front foot. And we saw that in Tennessee. We saw that against the Panthers. We saw that again against the Bears on Sunday. Probably didn't see it as much in the game against the Cowboys, Um which was quite disappointing. I think a lot of people felt we would get the Cooper rush a little bit more. It didn't materialize on the night. But at the same time, going into the fourth quarter, like the Cowboys pulled away late in that game. They didn't have a huge abundance of points. So you can commend the defense in that game as well. And he's certainly scheming, and he's going to have to scheme really well for Sunday, I'd imagine, against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and I think, why don't we use that to transition here then, Brian? You know, the Packers, this is by far... I think the biggest challenge this Giants defense is going to face, it's by far the best quarterback that they will have faced this year in Aaron Rodgers. We know that, as you mentioned earlier, the Packers don't have that type of wide receiver core that they've had in the past. No Devontae Adams, Marcus Valdez-Scantling on the team either. But I really think this is going to be the first true test for this Giants secondary. Uh, you know, Aaron Robinson is now, you know, not going to play this week. At least it doesn't look like that. We'll, we don't have the details on the injury yet. So it's probably going to be Fabian Moreau out there with Darnay Holmes and, of course, with Dory Jackson. To me, this is a huge litmus test game for this Giants secondary and how they deal with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, even though maybe they don't have that elite wide receiver core. Yeah, it's 
we saw, I thought we, I felt we saw a bit of positivity in the Packers' first half performance against the Bucks last week. They was the only score of 14 points. There was a fumble by Aaron Jones in the red zone, which if they had got to 21, I think essentially the game would have been dead and buried at that stage. But And we saw last weekend against the Patriots. And whilst the Patriots right now haven't got the greatest of rosters, the one thing they have got is a great coach and Bill Belichick knows, knows how to play any team and he'll, he'll use the players in which he has available to him to make sure they're in a team, in a game which they were using their third quarterback. But just, I still felt there was a little bit of inconsistency there on the offense. Dobbs, yeah. the, the, the rookies come in, he's had a better start than Watson as it happened and he went late in a later round and he's relying on Cobb. He said it today in one of his press conferences um, that Randall Cobb for them is, is significant right now and bearing in mind he only came back to the team last year and I felt at the time it was more just to keep Aaron Rodgers on side by bringing him back. <laughs> he right he right now is their marquee player. Tanya in the tight end, I really like him. He had a difficult time and he was out injured. Seems to be coming back to a bit of form. So we are going to have our we are going to have a busy day on Sunday in the secondary, trying to keep them down as well as that. If they get into a situation where it's not working for them in terms of going deep, you know, we are tightening up. They've got two really good running backs in Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, who really has come on in the past year. In his, He's in his torture now in the league, so they've got good players there as well that can take the pressure off Rodgers if he is if it is materialized in terms of the passing game. What's up? I'm John Wall and I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have ticked it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't Nick? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, look, they've run the ball. I was looking at their run rate earlier today. I actually got the stat right here. Um, I think they right now, in terms of run rate per game, they're ninth in the NFL in the first halves of games. 44% of their plays um, are run plays, so... You know, that's not what you think of when you think of an think of an Aaron Rodgers team, but that's what they're doing. And Aaron and you know, it's a good one two punch, right? AJ Dillon's that bigger back, he's gonna grind on you. Aaron Jones is averaging almost seven yards per carry. He's a good receiver. He's that type of big play threat that it's really the Packers version of Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, right? Which Giant fans are earlier in the year. And they'll use them both very similarly. Believe it or not, Dillon actually has more carries this year than Jones, even though he, I think he almost has 200 fewer yards. But Jones is the more dangerous guy. But if you get into a game where the Packers get the lead, they're going to try to grind you down with that four-minute offense with A.J. Dillon. Yeah, Jones is very effective with receptions as well. I mean, yeah. you see time and time again, where there's a screen pass, which looks like a two- or three-yard dump dump off. It goes for 20, 30 yards because he's so electric and getting out. He's not, he's not similar to Saquon, but there is bursts of times where they get out on, on the seam and they're gone and it's difficult to get them down. We need to we need to kind of make sure that we're we're ready for those type of scenarios on Sunday, more so than maybe potentially Rogers going deep into the deep into the field. 
Yeah, and I do think there's an opportunity against this offensive line. This is not the same Packer offensive line that they've had in years past. You know, Brian Balaga is not there anymore. Elgin Jenkins, who I believe they just signed to an extension, if I'm not mistaken. He's been out of right tackle. Uh, he traditionally was more of a, a guard center when he got drafted. David Bakhtiari is back. But, you know, they've had some issues protecting Rodgers. If, if anybody watched the first half of that Patriots-Packers game, I thought the Patriots really bothered Rodgers with the pass rush in the first half of that game. You know, I don't love the idea of blitzing Aaron Rodgers. He's seen a lot, and he's very good against the blitz. If the Giants can figure out a way to get some pressure with four, maybe five guys here, Brian, I think that kind of gives you your best chance. Yeah, and I think we, we might be able to adjust to that scenario. Look, we we all read about the reports how he's he was blitz heavy in, in Baltimore, and he had the players there to do that. And your players were left on an island. He was very much, I'm going to blitz, and if you don't like it, that's the way it's going to be. But I think this season we've seen... And maybe he's just working to what he has available to him, but he hasn't blitzed. You know, once we have blitzed at times, it hasn't been to the extent I think most fans would have expected that we felt he'd be blitzing for quite a lot of the games. It hasn't been the case. I'd imagine if he does go down that route Sunday and he, and Aaron Rodgers is picking us off, he, he'll readjust and maybe just go man-on-man or go double, go zone and just, you know, allow Rodgers to time. Because I don't think Rodgers is the kind of quarterback. We've played against quarterbacks like Justin Fields, for example, on Sunday. Who, when he gets outside the pocket, he's electric as well. Aaron Rodgers is that type of quarterback, so if we can keep him in the pocket. We, I think we we would have an opportunity there. You're you're right about his presence on Sunday. He was very uncomfortable for the first half, even early in the second half. He was uncomfortable. He threw yeah. a pick six against the Patriots. If we can get at him, he he does get a little bit off, and he's off kilter. If you see him tend to get uncomfortable, get frustrated with other players, get frustrated with the offensive line. I don't know if you saw the the the, the play in which he wanted the ball snapped to him, and he he cursed out at the center and. Tony Romo in the commentary kind of eased off in terms of what he actually did say, but it was caught on camera and it was a bit vulgar, shall we say. But he, he clearly was frustrated at that stage of the game. That's what we need to do on something. We need to frustrate the life out of him, get at this offensive line that has been up and down throughout the course of the season. We need Ujilari and Thibodeau to be really on their game on Sunday. Um, they seem to be, from where they were against Dallas to where they were on Sunday, was the Bears' offensive line wasn't great. We did see a bit of an improvement. I felt he improved with six sacks on Sunday. It was a lot better than what we saw the previous week. So I think we have an opportunity. With, was this offensive line at the moment is still going through the course of getting together? We have an opportunity on Sunday to potentially go after. You mentioned it. What are your thoughts on Thibodeau and Evan Neal, the Giants' two rookies so far? I, I was really pleased with Evan Neal on Sunday because he got a lot of scrutiny after the Dallas game. But we have to bear in mind who he was going up against with Lawrence and. Mika Parsons, I know Mika Parsons didn't have a sack on the night, but Neil didn't have the greatest of games. But that's the type of stuff we saw from Andrew Thomas early on in his career. And he was getting thrown under the bus by many a media person and some supporters had given up on them. And David Gediman had not picked the right player. But what we're seeing now is a top five left left tackle. And he's probably going to get paid like a you know a top left tackle at some stage. Evan Neal's stats right now are quite similar to where he was when Andrew Thomas came into the league. So I think long term we have we're secure there. Kayvon is a, a difficult one because it's very unfortunate. Every fan was so excited to see him. He gets injured in the preseason game against the Bengals and that kind of throws him off in terms of his recovery and trying to get him ready. And you have to admire the coaching staff because I think previously we would have seen players put pressure on coaches to put them in, even though they may not be 100%. But it seems like the Giants coaching staff and the medical crew have said, no, we'll wait till you're 100% and ready to go. I think as the season progresses, we're going to see a great player. It's just a case of him getting... I think if he gets a sack, and it may not necessarily be this game, but once he gets a sack and once he gets pressures on the quarterback, 
gets his confidence going when I think we'll see the player in which we all expected to see when he when he was picked at the, in at the fifth spot in the draft. Yeah, no, I agree 100. percent So let's stick with the other side of the ball. We talked about the the Packers offense. Let's let's talk about their defense. You know, top ten in the league in defense. I think they're top. I think they're third in terms of pass yards allowed per game. Twenty second against the run. You know, to me, you you got to run the ball or on early downs against this team. And you know, I'm always a pass on early downs guy. To me, that's what I like to do. And you know, if the Giants can run some play action like they did last week, I think that works too. But you cannot get into third and long against the Packers. One stat I I kind of un I unpacked today when I was looking at their defense, Brian, which I think is pretty crazy. So on defense, on third and six or longer, the the Packers have allowed other teams to convert four percent of their attempts for first downs. Four percent. So you do not want to be in third and long against this Packers defense. You got to do your damage on first down, whether it's in play action or, or, or with the run in Saquon Barkley, because once you get the passing situations with that pass rush and that secondary, it's going to be problematic. If, John, the fact that you're saying there's been so many teams and so many plays where they've had teams in short and long shows how well this defense is playing this season. And, and there's kind of a changing of the guard at the moment with the, with the Packers. The defense is what's keeping them in a position where they can still be effective and win games once the offense is trying to find their feet. They've got some great players up front in Campbell, Smith. I mean, they're going to get our, get after our offensive line on Sunday. We're talking about Saquon having the opportunity on Sunday to be effective on fourth downs. That's going to come down to how well our offensive line can play against this yep. front seven. Because when, when they get going, um, they're so effective. And there's, there'll be a huge Packers uh, fan base there on Sunday. It will be noisy. So whilst there'll be a lot of Giants fans, we have to err on the side of caution as I feel that this is going to be like a, a level playing field and we're not going into Lambo, but they will bring the noise. Their defense will be up for it. Their secondary for me is a little bit up and down the first game of the season. Jefferson had over 100 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. Now, I do recognize Jefferson Jefferson is one of, arguably one of the best wide receivers in the league. But if we can if we can scheme against that secondary, there is opportunities there. But again, it's about making sure these, these receivers and get the ball. We only threw for 70, 70 odd yards on Sunday. The game yeah. on Sunday against the Bears was very much let's run it until they can stop us and they couldn't stop us essentially for throughout the course of the game. So why go away from something that's working? But on Sunday, I think we'll have to have a, a balanced offense to catch them, catch them off guard. Yeah, yeah Saquon, we'll lean heavily on Saquon. Hopefully Daniel is in a position where he can, you know, get out on the, on the perimeter and run. But we also need to make sure our wide receivers are, are stepping up and, and getting themselves open. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Campbell and Preston Smith. Rashawn Gary has turned into one of the best young pass rushers in the league. Um, after, you know, he was a guy that was a little raw coming out of Michigan. It took him some time, which much like Andrew Thomas is fine. That's why you draft guys to develop them, right? And, you know, don't forget Kenny Clark, too, right? We talk about the Giants' tackles where they've had some issues is their inside pass protection, right? So, to me, Kenny Clark, and he'll line up at, over the – he'll play nose. He'll play over the right guard. He'll play over the left guard. How the Giants deal with Kenny Clark in this game, and we'll see how healthy Mark Lewinsky is. He left that game last week with an ankle. Ben Bredesen, obviously, Josh Azudu, and Feliciano at center. How do they deal with Kenny Clark? To me, that is going to be a big part of this game. Yeah, that's the thing. You're going to find early on, they're going to try to move him around and see where the best spot for, for him is. Essentially, you know, is he getting is he getting the benefit of being on the right side, the left side? He's, they're going to they're, just, they're going to try mixing around as much as possible to, to try catch catches off guard it's a difficult one it really is because they have some there's some great players there that, that we're, we're going up against on Sunday the offensive line as you said it's key on Sunday yeah no question about it I think it'll be interesting to see you know what happens you know when the Giants do get into those occasional third and longs do they manage to figure things out 
um, in terms of their pass pro. I think it'll be one of the bigger tests in addition to that Cowboys game for the Giants offensive line. And uh, we are going to be joined by Mark Carcroll in just a second. He's getting his video up. He's one of the co-hosts of the Irish NFL show. Um, and I'm surprised he wants to join a couple of Giant fans here as a Patriot fan for a long time. But uh, we thank him for joining us today. And we're going to bring Mark in, in just a second. A couple of reads I got to do here, guys. Giant fans, don't forget to join us on Sunday, October 16th. Giants versus Ravens as the team celebrates Latino Heritage Month. Presented by Ford. Arrive early to partake in several plaza activations, including food sampling, salsa dancing, live music, and celebrity artists. DJ Camillo performing during pregame warmups and select times throughout the game. Limited tickets are available. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat today all right now let's welcome in one of the other co-hosts of the irish nfl show that is mark cockrell mark welcome how are you man john i'm very good delighted to join you this evening and uh i heard you just say why would a patriots fan want to join two giants fans in <laughs> the giants podcast it is true i can lord it over 30 other franchises in the nfl but the giants is the one that still hurts still hurts now, we, I, I didn't tell you we were going to do this, but let's do the next 30 minutes on Super Bowls 42 and 46. Are you ready? No? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, he, you know, it's funny. Brian did bring something up on, on my last answer, Mark. I'm curious to get both of your guys' take on this. What do you think the fan breakdown is going to be? Because we know the Packers travel. We know they have a very popular fan base. We know the Giants have a fan base in London. Obviously, in New York, there's expats over there and everything like that. So, Mark, let's start with you on this. How do you think this fan breakdown is going to be at Tottingham um, when they play on Sunday? Um, well, well, firstly, John, there's always going to be a mix of fans at any London game. You will see all 32 jerseys of all the teams. It's Which always I love, walking around it's and great. seeing. Yeah, it's a great environment for that. And then when you get a good game, the, the vibe from all the fans naturally is great. I honestly can't call it. Like, you've got to remember the Giants are so big over here because when uh, NFL came onto domestic TV in the mid, uh, mid-80s in the UK, I mean, you're talking about the era of Phil Sims, the era of Bill Parcells, LT, Banks, Pepper, you know, that great team in the late 80s, early 90s. So Giants, 49ers, Bears, Dolphins have huge followings over here. Um, and yet, the Packers are the first, uh, the last team, sorry, the 32nd team of the NFL to finally visit London Shores in the 32nd game to be held in London. So there's a big upswell of UK and I Packers fans, European Packers fans who are desperate to come over. I, I, it's been one of the hardest tickets to get. I would wow. say Munich is harder, but Giants Packers is definitely the pick of the London games this year, and it's been really tough to get tickets for. Brian, you think there'll be a lot of Packers fans there then? It's going to be pretty packed with green and yellow? Yes, there is, but I think they are underestimating the amount of Giants fans that will be there. I've had numerous people reach out to me. There's, there's a big Giants contingent having a, an, a couple of soirees over the course of the few days leading up to the game, and since most of those events are sold out. By all accounts, everybody who's gone to these events has tickets, so I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the amount of Giants fans there on Sunday and Mark touched on the fans who are mixed shall we say on Sunday and are going to enjoy the spectacle and the great NFL game I'd imagine they will be cheering on the Giants more so than the Packers yeah it's funny I, and you guys talked about with the different jerseys that's one of my favorite things about going this is going to be my third trip I was at Wembley um, in 2007 and 2016 I was at Twickenham and then now we have the third stadium the Giants always seem to be one of the teams going into these stadiums for the first time and you know, I love seeing all the different jerseys from the different teams. And I, I love the guys that, you know, it's probably Americans, I would imagine, that moved out to, to England. 
or, you know, the UK and they have their jerseys from the late nineties. Like I saw a Tommy Maddox Pittsburgh Steelers Jersey. Last time I was out there, you, you get some winners from like the late nineties. And even before that, Brian, with jerseys that, that you see around and it's just fun seeing the different fans of the different teams of the random players that sometimes pop up on these jerseys. Well, I'll give a shout out to the national vintage league. Um, they're based in the UK. They've set up a, um, they latched onto a niche market a couple of years back and all they sell is is the legacy jerseys. Really? And yeah, yeah. They were we spoke to them on Sunday. We were at the game at Tottenham on Sunday. We met them. We we've had them on our show. Um they have a store, a particular store in London. People it's a walk-in store, people go in, like I was talking to them on Sunday about getting the 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 bank's legacy jersey. He says, Yeah, I can have that for you within a week. So yeah, they they have done some great things, and it was evident on Sunday, even at the Viking Saints game, the Melton Legacy jerseys in which we're at the game on Sunday was a, a nice sight to behold. Yeah, John, John, I'll let you judge. What's the most random jersey? Like, I've seen a David Carr jersey. I've seen a Joey Harrington jersey. Tommy there. Maddox and Steelers was was was, was Tommy Maddox is up there. Yeah. Boy, uh, let me think. I saw a couple other funny ones. I, I, I always like the ones, and I know Good Morning Football is a great segment. I like the guys who maybe what you know was like a real player, but then he goes to like a team in the last game of like last year of his career, plays like two games, but you have the jersey of him washed up on the team that he barely played for. That's usually my my favorite one, I think. I, I don't know if you saw the uh, the coverage on, on Sunday, John, but Mark Sanchez, the former Jets quarterback, happened to be to be at the game. He's obviously covering the game for whatever particular organization he's working for. And he recognized a Jets fan in the crowd with a Mark Sanchez jersey on. And he brought the chap, he brought the guy down, got photographs with him, signed nice. his jersey. It was probably the only Mark Sanchez jersey that's left. He maybe found it in a in a rubbish bin somewhere and he decided to wear it to the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, the yeah, one thing we, you guys have in common is we don't have any Jet fans here. So I guess you guys can go to town on that, right? <laughs> That, that, that is the one team that doesn't get any love from either me or Brian at any point, I will say that. Um, but it can go wrong. I remember um, Garth Brooks has been over in Ireland and performed these big concerts in Croke Park the last while. But back a couple of years ago, he was playing a gig in Michigan and he was photographed wearing a Barry Sanders jersey. Now, the only problem was Barry Sanders wore 20. Oh. So people took it up that he was actually sporting Bernie Sanders in the presidential election that year and was getting a bunch of abuse on Twitter. So... It can go wrong so easily, man, as well. I remember that. That was pretty funny. A um, couple things I want to touch with you guys on. and You mentioned the Munich game. How, how much do you guys, and I don't know how much of a feel you guys have for it. I'd love to figure out if you do. You know, I remember back, you know, I'm showing my age now, back when you had NFL Europe back in the 90s. It was very popular in, in, in Germany, Mark. Is this going to blow up, you think, in Germany as, as much as it has in the UK? Are we going to be seeing, you think, in five, six years, two or three games there the same way we're seeing two or three games in the UK? Absolutely. Like the appetite in Germany, the appetite across Europe, I'd say, but especially in Germany, they'll take as many games as the NFL will give them. you got to remember, you're saying about NFL Europe. I mean, yes, my age as well. I do remember those days. NFL Europe finished with one... Scottish team, I think it was, and five German teams. Yeah, the Scottish actually, when Claymores, finished, right? If I remember right, the Scottish Claymores. Scottish, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, Scottish Claymores, London Monarchs. But there was a period of time where all the teams were from around Germany as well. I think the last uh, World Bowl, I think it was 2006, 2007, around some Super Bowl event occurred as well. I don't remember it that year. Some, some random team won it, I think, uh, <laughs> beating a previously undefeated team. Um, but that had 60,000 fans 
And you think, I mean, NFL Europe was, let's face it, an inferior product. Yes, it spawned Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner had a breeding ground there. It's a you know classical kind of development story for him. But it was an inferior product, and they had 60,000 fans. That, that passion is growing. We have Germans every year going to London to the games because they were like, hey, this is closer. We want to experience this in Europe. And when I say... Giants Packers was hard and is hard to get tickets for because of the passionate fan bases and the big fan bases for that. In Munich, uh, it's 10 times worse because you've got it all Germany, all of Central Europe and everything. The NFL UK, I think, estimated 3 million applications were received for the tickets. I think I'm saying, yeah, I'm right in saying, Brian, 3 million. So pent up demand to beat the band. And uh, yeah, they could they will sell as many games as NFL wants to give them in the international series. And Germany's a big country too, right? So you could do a game in Munich, you could do a game in Berlin, you could do a game in Frankfurt. And I think all those, all three of those cities, I believe, at NFL Europe teams, if I remember properly, right? I believe Berlin Rheinfire, I think. Uh, Frankfurt Galaxy, if I remember right. And I don't remember. You're doing the, very well, John. I don't remember the well. Munich team name. If I don't remember the Munich team name. Oh, Munich, no, Munich Automobiles or something. No, <laughs> I can't remember either. But point is, you could spread those games out and get whole different audiences depending on what city you're in right brian yeah that's very true john we myself and mark we were in la as i said at the super bowl and we went to the international press conference when they were announcing the german game it took place um at the la media event on the friday and at that particular event they pretty much confirmed that they were planning on having, having three different cities they didn't confirm which particular cities were um were bidding or which ones they they're planning to go with, but they did make it very clear that after Munich there's an appetite to move the game onto a different city for the second year. And then as the third year and they also kind of recognize it may not just be one game at that stage. It could be two, potentially three, similar to the, the UK scenario. I think what's been where Roger Goodell wants to get to is that it's an even playing field in terms of the UK are getting three games and potentially Germany getting three games. Because but also bear in mind the Jags essentially are not really a part of the international series this year in the sense that they have elected to give up a home game and play the game at Wembley. So they're not really essentially a part of the international series. Once it's categorized as, a, as in, the, in that particular range, international series, they are very much leading that game on their own and running that game directly with the Broncos. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I'm looking here. Let me see. Um, I do not see a Munich team on this list. I was just curious now if I can remember the damn thing. Uh, Hamburg had a team, the Sea Devils, apparently. I did not remember that. But um, needless to say, they had a lot of a lot of popular teams in NFL Europe. All right, guys. So let, let's go around the league here a little bit. Um, biggest surprise for each of you to start this NFL season, Mark? Why don't we start with you? Thing that's kind of caught up and, and snuck up on you a little bit. Um, I'm going to stick in the NFC East. I didn't expect the Eagles to be this good. I was still doubtful about Jalen Hurts, and you could still say there are still doubts about Jalen Hurts, but. Uh, Brown and Smith are providing an amazing one-two punch. Their running game is strong. Their defense is a lot better than I expected. Um, there's a lot of teams that are probably surprisingly disappointing this season. But, you know, frankly, if you had told me after four weeks, I know it's not the quarter point anymore, John, because of the 17-game season, but Close basically enough. the quarter point. <laughs> if you had told me the NFC East would be the division with the most wins of any division, yeah. well, you could have knocked me over with a feather and called me Cynthia because I just <laughs> wouldn't have believed it. How about you, Brian? Um, I would go with the Denver Broncos, John. I, I, you know, there was so much off-season talk about the Russell Wilson factor, and that this was the opportunity in which the Broncos needed to really progress and really challenging. And this off-season, it was all very much about the AFC West. This is the best division in football. 
the Chiefs, the, the Raiders did quite a lot. Obviously, they brought in Devontae Adams. Um, the Chargers, everybody recognised that the Chargers have a great quarterback in Herbert. They've done some nice things in free agency. Everybody felt that the Broncos were going to make a, a big upward curve and be up there challenging. And I think it's uh, the offense in particular has just been erratic. You know, in the first couple of games, we haven't seen much from them. They got a little bit better on Sunday, but there's still a lot to play, a lot to do. Like they were three of 11 on, on first down, sorry, on tour downs on Sunday, a little bit more vertical. I still didn't think the offense was in Aberdeen terms of what we expected to see. Quite surprised that it hasn't really materialized so far for us others. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. No, look, I agree. I, I hate the Broncos winning the AFC West. I thought I thought the Chiefs would struggle a little bit more with their, you know, new wide receiver core and no Tyreek Hill, but boy, they have just kept rolling. And the Chargers typically, they've had a million injuries because that's the Chargers and they can't catch a break, a lot like the Giants with the injuries. But boy, the, the Patrick Mahomes, you got to tip your cap to him and Andy Reid, you know. I'm not going to call them a no-name receiving core, but they certainly don't have a Tyreek Hill. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, good receiver. Um, but, boy, they have just continued to roll. And what they did to that really good Bucks defense, which, frankly, was playing like the best defense in football the first three weeks of the season, um, on Sunday night, that was really, really impressive. John, there's a feel like the Chiefs, it's probably very early in the season, but there's a feel like they're kind of floating under the radar because there's been so much expected of them over the course of the last three or four years since they won that Super Bowl. As you said, the offense is very, it's been very, a lot different. You know, it's, obviously there's been some major changes there. And not many people are talking about them. I know they had a really strong performance on Sunday night, but even since then, it's more about other teams and the Eagles. It might suit Andy Reid to have the pressure taken off them. They can just go about their business throughout the course of the season. Yeah, look, and I, I think, yeah, you might be right. And maybe they are being overlooked a little bit. And, you know, I think the other thing that I think is to surprise me a little bit is the Saints have struggled as much as they have early in the year, Mark, just one in three. I know Winston's been hurt. Andy Dalton's capable, but their defense hasn't been as consistent as I would have thought. You know, I thought they had a real chance of being a playoff team, and they still do. It's only four games or one in three. Uh, but I thought the Saints would have come out to a little bit of a quicker start. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I didn't expect as much out of them. I, you know, I put huge emphasis on coaching and losing Sean Payton, losing that offensive genius was a big part of it. I mean, last season, you have to remember when they didn't have their first two options at starting quarterback, they went 0-5. That's what sunk them. They were 9-3 and when they had Winston and Hill there as a tandem to play. So he was, you know, he was making, you know, what's the expression, a silk purse out of a sow's ear uh, in terms of a limited enough range at quarterback there in the first instance. And, and I just felt like, you know, Dennis Allen... I agree with you. The defense has been surprisingly dropped a little bit. You know, you've got talent like Lattimore, you've got Davenport at end, uh, Cameron Jordan, of course. They've got so much talent, but 
you watch the game of the weekend, they they weren't efficient. They're not stopping on defense. They were they before. They were embarrassed a little bit by the Falcons. They were very lucky in that week one game. Yeah, uh, obviously. So they're conceding a lot of points, but clearly on offense, they have lost a significant step. And you're right, that South Division still up for grabs. I did expect the Bucks to be walking away with it a bit more than this. Um, the Falcons are scrappy. The Panthers are lost at the moment still. Matt Rule has to be on the hot seat, out the door, burning in the fiery inferno of hell, whatever you want to <laughs> refer to it. But like, you know, they need a quarterback and it's not Baker Mayfield and it sure as hell ain't Sam Darnold either. So um, they've got they've got a lot of repairing to do. Yeah, I don't think the offensive coordinator is helping much down there either. Just watching the way they played the Giants, it's a very simple scheme, not a lot going on. I mean, DJ Moore is a... He's a very good wide receiver, and they cannot figure out a way, Brian, to get him the ball down there. No, uh, they've been very disjointed, and we saw that in, in the second game um, against the Panthers, um, the Giants game against the Panthers. They, they couldn't really move the ball for a large part of the, of the game. It was a similar scenario on Sunday with Baker Mayfield. I mean, at what stage, Mark has alluded to Sam Darnold there, like, or at what stage does Baker Mayfield be taken out? Because, unfortunately, it hasn't materialized the he played reasonably well in the fourth quarter, the first game against the Browns, with a point to prove. But for over the, over the body to work over the first four games, it's not good enough, you know. And you can see on Sunday there's restless Panthers fans over there. Already, right, Ben McAdoo um, was supposed to be the answer, wasn't he, John, to go in there and resolve the issues on offense? It hasn't hasn't been the case. Um, doesn't come as a surprise, but um, I do think they'll have to make a decision in terms of quarterback because they can't continue with a quarterback. That essentially, it's just not going to do the job. Yeah, 100%. And I think generally, guys, around the NFL, the thing that kind of is interesting to me, you know, we're down to one undefeated team. Eagles are the only team that's 4-0. And there's only one team that doesn't have a win, the Houston Texans. You know, this is it's a mess. I mean, let's be honest. AFC North, you have three teams that are 2-2. Two and two. AFC South, the two teams leading are 2-2. Two and two. The AFC West are the two teams that are 2-2. Two and two. Uh, the end of the NFC South and the NFC West, every team is two and two. I mean, this is just one big mess of teams in the middle. And again, aside from the Eagles, who I agree, I love their roster. Didn't think Jalen Hurts was ready to take the leap that he has. And again, it's early. We got to wait to see what happens the rest of the year. You know, they play Dallas in two weeks on Sunday night. That'll be a really good matchup to see how he does against the top defense. But this league right now, it is just a, a pool of teams. I think trying to figure things out, Mark. And, you know, I think it's going to be a fun final I guess, what is it now, 12 weeks or 13 weeks, whatever it is, as we figure yeah. out, you know, what teams are going to rise to the top here other than maybe the Eagles and the Chiefs and the Bills, teams that we think are already kind of already there. Everything else, I don't think we know a damn thing about this league right now. Well, I mean, this is why Roger Dale and everyone in the NFL offices in New York is rubbing their hands with glee. This is, this is glorious. They want parity. Yeah. I mean, you alluded to, I think in 2020, we had seven teams entering October who were unbeaten. 2021, there was five. This year is one. You know, that's exactly what they want. They want parity. They want everything in the middle. They want everyone to believe there's a way forward. I, I've got to give a shout out to my co-host here who's on with you. Brian O'Leary every year is the best and biggest Giants fan I know in my entire life. And every year, in around week 11 or 12, he still comes up, maybe a bit earlier, Brian, you still come up with an amazing way how the Giants are going to make the playoffs. <laughs> and the logic is indisputable. He is like, no, we're going to win this and they're going to lose. And, this. and he always has this plan. But in many respects, that's what the league wants. They want Brian for the Giants and everyone for all 32 franchises to still believe, still see a path. So they're loving this. But you're right, we still got to shake it out. Like we've seen some teams start really hot. 
and they might cool off. We've seen some teams very shaky to begin with who might put it all together. The Packers are one I worry about, if you like, in terms of suddenly getting it all together because they've got the run game, they've got the defense, and you'd have to believe after 17 games, Aaron Rodgers somehow will figure it out with at least one or two of his wide receivers. And then they're going to be very difficult to stop. I mean, they don't play the playoffs in week four. They've got plenty of time to work through these kings. Um, and I do go back to my beloved Patriots and talk about Bill Belichick a few years ago, almost treating the first few weeks of the season like the preseason. Yeah. Because he said, like, you know, with limited practices, with limited experiences at preseason, you need to use that time to get to know your team a bit better. And maybe there's just more of the teams that are kind of still finding their way at this point in time. No question about it. And Brian, the, the NFC East has given you an assist on, on that a little bit too late in the year with, what was it, two years ago? I think the Giants, gosh, I think it was two years ago. They were like three and eight, but they were like a game and a half out of first place in the NFC East or, or something crazy like that. You're going into like late November and they're still in it, even though I think they were three and eight or four and eight. It was crazy. We, we finished with five wins, John, and in week 17, we we were relying on that Sunday night game. Yeah, Washington against right. Philadelphia, where Doug Peterson decided to take... Uh, Jalen Hurts out of the game for some unknown reason. I'm still, uh, as you can imagine, I'm still a bit annoyed over that. <laughs> but yeah, five wins. Imagine, being, I, I think the record, Mark, you called it on the show at the time was, actually, sorry, I think we won six games that season. I think seven and nine was the record. It was Carolina. And, and that year it became Washington. But yeah, we finished with six wins and nearly miraculously got into the playoffs. The Giants official connected TV streaming at Giants TV brings original video content and game highlights on demand and directly to big blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV and the Giants mobile app. Mark, you mentioned the Packers matchup. Uh, you watched them play your beloved Patriots last week. Your thoughts watching that game on, on what the Giants have in store taking on Green Bay this week? Um, they're rushing offenses for real they've got their line somewhat sorted out in that regard and you know the one-two punch they pack there is immense and that defense is certainly for real I think they've had an underrated defense the last couple of years last year they had a couple of big injuries uh Zaire Alexander was out for most of the year um you know they they had issues of pass rusher they had issues at cornerback they've rectified them and this might be okay I'll give you a Patriots comparison 2003 they relied upon Corey <laughs> Dillon and Brady to throw a bit on third down, but it was Dillon and defense was basically what drove the Patriots to a Super Bowl that year. That might be the way forward. Somebody said like, hey, wasn't it weird watching that box game that Rodgers was playing like Brady and Brady was playing like Rodgers. Brady was trying to shove it down the field, zing it down on the seams, you know, out routes, big downfield passes to Evans. And Rodgers was just taking what he could get from the defense and just methodically marching them down the field. So you've got a different Aaron Rodgers. Maybe Bill Belichick wrote a little bit of a, a script. I mean, Giants fans would know him doing a good job of that in 86 and, and 90 as well in terms of how to defend this team um, because he certainly gave Rodgers fits all season with a, let's face it, a limited Patriot side. So um, they can be got to, but I, I just worry about their efficiency. That's what it comes down to. They're not, hopefully, for their sake, sorry, not necessarily for yours, they're not going to beat themselves. They, yeah. he's still trying to get the connection with their receivers, but it's that run game. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Patriots gave out 199 yards and I know the Giants defense is impressive and you've done, made a lot of improvements, especially along the line, but are you going to be able to stop that churning out the yards? You know, Mark, it's funny, Brian, and I were talking about this before you popped on and Brian, I'll come back to you. 
you know, one number that jumped out to me is the Packers lead the league in yards after the catch, 496. So to Mark's point, it's a lot of short stuff. Set these guys up, quick screens, let them run. And it's funny, you look at this Packer team, and yes, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, but I think I think Mark hit it right on the head. You look at the strength of their team, I think the biggest strength there's a defense, their second biggest strength of their running game. Then you get to Aaron Rodgers third, which is kind of crazy. And I think that's probably a good sign for them going forward. And that's what's going to be tough about this matchup with the Giants on Sunday. Yeah, we kind of touched on it, John. For me right now, the most effective player is not necessarily Aaron Rodgers. It's Aaron Jones because yeah. he's a, such a dynamic running back, but he's also very good in terms of receptions. And we touched on his screen passes where he can go for 25, 20 yards. That's the type of stuff we really need to be kind of aware of on, aware of on Sunday that let's not have him get outside of the perimeter and go just because it's it'll be a long day. And if, as Mark said, if he can methodically go up and down the field without... We're so used to seeing Rodgers with the, the big plays down the field, but that seems to have got away now. You know, And I may come back in terms of just trying to transition to a new offense, but right now it's very much methodical. Use the running backs efficiently. You talked about the one-two punch as well, AJ Dillon. I mean, they have the players there to do a lot of damage. But it, we need to slow them down, you know, and we have done that throughout the course of the first four weeks of the season. I mean, the, the most we've given up is 23 points. To Wink Martindale, as we said earlier on in the show, needs to be commended for the work he's done, which is such a, a unit that... Like we said, there's not many significant names in the NFL, but they're all working collaboratively together to put together a great defense. Yeah, Mark, I'm sure you're tired of hearing Brian talk about the Giants, but I will give you a chance to give it to, to, to give it your take on the Giants' three and one start so far, which obviously has been a, a pleasant surprise for all Giant fans. Well, well, after Week One, I actually had you down to go four and zip, so you let me down uh, on the the Cowboys game, guys. So uh, they have been a pleasant surprise. I'm delighted for Brian. I'm delighted for Giants fans generally. You've had a, a few lean years, to be honest with you. Um, so it's good to see them, you know, putting things together. But it's funny you just broke down the Packers and you said their strongest suit is probably their defense. The second strongest, their rushing attack, and then third strongest is quarterback. I'd rank the Giants the exact same way. That defense and the way that defense is playing is the most impressive thing about how you start. And you've had good defenses, you know, uh, in the past and obviously even in recent years. Saquon being back is a game changer. There's no doubt about it. Um, but the problem a little bit as well is like, is the, the quarterback is the third and that is the problem as well. Like there's not enough dynamism. There's not enough offense, frankly. You're saying about, you know, you've held teams to 23 points, Brian, which is great. If you hold this Packers team 23 points, I, as a neutral, uh, semi-neutral, would say, I don't know <laughs> if I'd trust this Giants team to get 24. You know, is the offense going to generate that? I, I saw a stat during the week, like, big plays, rushes over 10 yards, receiving uh, um, receptions over 20 yards. The Rams are at the very bottom of the pile, all right? There are, I think, only 16 of these plays. Giants are in the top 10, but when you break it down, Nearly all of them are rushes. They're all They've rushes. only had four yep. receptions over 20 yards. So, and it's not like you lack for quality in the wide receiver positions. And I'm sure there's plenty talked about while well, your wide receiver one and the, the relationship going on there at times. But um, that's the issue. Like where, you know, Daniel Jones, they, we could have a whole two hours talking about Daniel Jones, I'm sure, um, in relation to it. But where is that? Uh, offense is the biggest problem and the biggest gap from you taking it from here, going on to develop and have a really successful season. You know, Brian, that's actually true. We didn't talk about, you know, Daniel Jones, the Giants will have to make a decision after the year on him, right? Um, his contract's up. Obviously, they can franchise him if they want or, you know, long-term deal, short-term deal, whatever. 
your thoughts on what Jones has shown in his career so far and what the chances are. And again, they don't have to make the decision now. They have a lot of time to figure this out on whether or not he's the long-term answer. I, I would just comment on this season. I've seen a huge improvement in terms of how he looks after the ball. He's not, you know, he's not making poor decisions with the ball. I think he's been well coached. Um, Giants fans for a long time have felt that he was a, a good quarterback, just needed the right coaching and the right offensive coordinator. And that seems to be the case. And we spoke earlier on about how he's been utilizing the run game as a running quarterback. They're getting the best of him with limited resources around if he has some more significant wide receivers. So I think we touched on it earlier in the show to have Tennessee Tony and Bondell Robinson available on Sunday would be a huge, a huge uplift. It's a difficult one for the for the GM. We, we as I said, we had Joe Shane on during the summer. Um on our show, it's difficult for him the long term because if the franchise tag him, you're only kicking the can down the road for another year and you're going to have to give 34 million, I believe, is the average salary for the franchise, bearing in mind what the salary cap will be next year. So you're only taking, you're only, you're only taking 34 million out of, <clears throat> out of your salary cap. If they are to recontract them, then obviously you can transition that into four or five years, which is a bit more sustainable in terms of what you want to do in free agency with, with, with the budget that's available next year, which is considerably more than what it was this year. But it's just a very difficult decision because he's had, I think the bad years are going to potentially outweigh the good years. And that's ultimately what it might come down to next year. And we have to bear in mind this GM and this head coach are entitled. They didn't bring him in. So it's a lot easier for them to make a decision. To and move Bob, on. I'm sorry, Brian, let me interrupt you, but you know, you're right, 100%. And then I think Saquon's the same decision, right? He's on the last year of his deal. And Mark, you talked about how dynamic he's been he's really put this offense on his back in a lot of ways and carried them through the first few weeks of the year and the history of second contracts for running backs is not great but he's also not doesn't have a lot of tread off the tire because of a lot of the injuries the last couple of years so that's going to be a very tough decision at the end of the year given the type of person Saquon is how important he's been to the team we'll see if that continues if he can stay healthy but the history is is not great. That's going to be a really tough thing to balance out there if you're Joe Shane and the Giants. It's it's almost a Sophie's Choice type of situation. I mean, second, I mean, Christy McCaffrey, prime example. In the offseason there, middle of COVID, and he's locked up with these Sports Illustrated girlfriends, and he's having a tough time because he signed a 100-odd million deal. And then he's barely seen the field since because he's had significant injuries. Um, and by the way, he yeah, had no and he, and he had no injury issues before he signed that contract. He had been healthy. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. He was absolutely healthy. It made perfect sense. Alvin Kamara's for uh, you know second deal made perfect sense. Z- um, Zeke Zeke Elliott. I mean, you can question the Cowboys' logic on that one in terms of the level. But again, they thought they were paying for the future production. And the reality is that running back position has evolved so dramatically. It's now the least valued position, frankly, in terms of franchise tag in the entire NFL, um, or maybe safety slightly below it, but it's it's yeah. certainly down near the bottom. Um, and the second year, second contracts just have not paid out. So if you're Joe Schoen, and bearing in mind the salary cap hell he's already had to deal with, reminds me a lot of when Tannenbaum left the Jets. He's dealing with the crap from the prior administration. Let's be fair. He's had to make some horrible decisions this offseason, um, Blake Martinez and things like that, the kind of smack of just trying to get the house in order again and he's going to have this decision of okay do i get rid of like the one dynamic talent really that's been you know excites the fans gives us a good reason gives us something to look forward to for the future or do i scrap it and start from zero again because the cleanest way our salary cap is don't actually franchise or extend saquon because i can pick up running backs cheap don't do it with Daniel Jones because I'll get another rookie quarterback on a cheap deal in a good year and start from scratch again. 
Your thoughts on that, Brian? The difficulty there, I see, is, and I said this on our, our season preview show when we did it, the division that I felt this season, because of the schedule, the Giants had a lot of games in which they could potentially win against teams, which I would call it the same level. We've seen it already in terms of beating the Bears, beating the Panthers. Just games against the Lions, the Jacks, the Texans, and, well, maybe we'll throw the Colts in there the way they've started. Seahawks. And with all due respect, yeah, Steelers and Seahawks. Sorry, Seahawks. Yeah. So with all due respect to those teams, they'll probably feel they can beat the Giants as well. But there's a lot of winnable games. And my concern is for Joe Shane next season is the Giants say they win seven or eight games, but don't make the playoffs. We're in the middle of the pack come April in the draft. We'll be picking 16, 17, for argument's sake. What do you do? Because we don't have, uh, we have a little bit of collapse, but we're not enough significant significantly enough to move up to the top five for these marquee quarterbacks that are coming out next year to, to CJ Strouds and these guys that are going to be in the top five. So we could be a bit of a quandary. We could be back to finders trying to find a quarterback for a, a year that's just going to get us get us by for a year until we make another decision. So that's difficult. Like we saw when Kurt Warner essentially came in as a holding bridge quarterback until, until Eli Manning took over. Um, we might see a similar scenario next year if they decide to move on from Daniel Jones. That's that's the concern. But we all want to see the team winning because we've had so many difficult years. We want to be, we want to see meaningful meaningful football in November, in December, and potentially into January. But the caveat to that is, where will he be come April when the draft comes around? Brian, yeah, no. I love the bridge quarterback. The bridge quarterback, Baker Mayfield, should be available. He'd be perfect. <laughs> hey, Tyrod Taylor's on a two-year deal. He could be the bridge quarterback. To be quite honest with you, he's somebody running the roster. Tyrod was quite impressive when he came into the game on Sunday, John. Like he does exactly what you would expect Brian Dable to want to with the run pass option. <clears throat> and again, inevitably, he gets the concussion because of he goes for that first down and he, he essentially puts his body on the line to make sure the first down is achieved. Um, so, yeah, potentially you, you would feel comfortable with him stepping in. You know, not necessarily over the course of a season, but for two or three games where you're in a position where you need a quarterback to go and win you a couple of games, I, I believe he can do the job. Yeah, and I think the message this could be to all the quarterbacks, slide, get out of bounds, slide, get out of bounds with all the injuries they're dealing with. So I'm sure that'll be a common refrain. Two more things quick before you say goodbye, guys. Both of you, one by one, Mark, let's start with you. Tell me what I should know about Tottenham Hotspur, the stadium. What should fans know about it? I know it was a stadium built with the NFL in mind. They got the cool, like, sliding field thing. Just tell American fans what they should know about the stadium and, and why it's significant and important to, to you guys overseas. So uh, I'm an Arsenal fan who are Tottenham's arch rivals. So I need to tell you that the stadium's great, except for the football team that plays in it, um, <laughs> because they're horrific. Um, but other than that, it's a very cool modern stadium. I mean, it's not the same spend as somewhere like SoFi or Jerry World and things like that. But it's really designed, great sight lines, great, uh, really feel immersed with the action. It's a typical premiership soccer type stadium. So you're a lot closer to the action and engaged in that regard. I mean, for you, John, actually, the press box is right in the middle of the crowd as well. You're not up in the gods. So you're actually immersed in the action and really surrounded by the environment as well. But it's a great environment. We talked about the 32 teams all being supported. There's going to be a huge number of Giants fans, huge number of Packers fans. And it's a great bowl-like stadium to really encapsulate that atmosphere. So uh, Giants fans going to it will have a great time. Brian? I have sat in the stadium both as a fan and obviously in the media, they, they say there isn't a bad seat in the house, John. It's an understatement. It's a fantastic stadium. When they put it together, they very much had the thought process of how it would be from a fan, from a fan experience in terms of going to the game. You know, when you're going in, you're getting your, your food and your beverages and it's it's just built perfectly. It's built to make sure a supporter of any team, whether it's gone to a football game, as we call it here, soccer or an American football game, 
that the supporter, the fan, has an enjoyable day. And I imagine everybody who goes to the game on Sunday would have an enjoyable day, but please God, it's the Giants fans who are going home with the smiles on their face. Is this supposed to rain again? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Is this supposed to rain out there on Sunday? What are you guys hearing? John, John it was, it was, they said on Sunday, we were doing a live show at Tottenham on Sunday at a rooftop across the road from the stadium. They said it was 82% chance of rain. It didn't rain at all. And it was 16, 17 degrees, which I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. Maybe Mark knows what that is. Um, but it was a quite a mild, <laughs> balmy day. And I'd imagine it'd be the same on Sunday. Very good. All right. Selfish. John questions the fans can turn this off if they want. No, I'm just kidding. Don't turn it off yet. Um, all right. I, I know you guys aren't London locals, but I've done, I've been there on vacation on holiday. I've done a lot of the basic tourist stuff. I've been there a couple of times with the giants. I hope to have most of Saturday off. So give me a couple of under the radar things I need to do while I'm in London. Mark, why don't you lead us off or food? I need Jesus. to eat one or the other. Take your pick. I'll take food or things to see. Oh my goodness! Like uh, no pressure there, John. No, no pressure. No pressure um, at all. If you you've done the West End, you've done and watched the show, so gone and watched the show. Say so Saturday night, go up to the West End. No, watch, I have not like done a, a show on the West Broadway. End before. Okay. So you go to go to the West End. It's like Broadway, obviously, but you know we you know the UK people would say it's better than Broadway. You're in New York, <laughs> you're going to say Broadway's better, but similar context. Um, and it's a very much more English experience in some respects. So it's a different way of experiencing a show. Um, if you've done all the tourist things, even just go for a walk through Hyde Park, go for a stroll, kind of just sit and people watch for a while. There's speakers corner out there and stuff. It's kind of interesting to see. And uh, yeah, just bangers and mash or a steak and kidney pie or something really bland, basically, is what you should experience. <laughs> How about you, Brian, your thoughts? I don't know if you've looked at the schedule, John. Is there no premiership match on Saturday afternoon that you could look to attend? I have not looked. You should consider that. So once in the challenge, once in the well, it's not a once in a lifetime opportunity because the Giants should be over once every seven years. But again, you may not be back for quite some time. Maybe you should consider trying to take in a premiership match. And on Saturday night, John, there's a big Giants uh, fan event on in London. Maybe you should be rocking up there and having yourself a couple of beers. Oh, yeah. If you guys tell me where it is, I'll stop by. Let me know. I'll, I'll email you on the details. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be fun. Uh, you know, this just popped in my head. You know, Mark, you're a Patriot fan. I, are there not a lot of Patriot fans in the UK? I imagine the whole Patriot thing might be a sore subject, given what happened in, like, you know, the late 1700s. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, like, it's just the UK Patriots fans know how to drink tea. They don't throw it in a harbor. That's, that's the only <laughs> difference in relation to it. But, no, it's actually funny. It's kind of completely glossed over and yeah there's a lot more patriots fans let's say in 2022 than when i started sporting them is what i'll say um with the years of success that have transpired but nah there's no there's no sensitivity there john we're all we're all one big global happy family together we are of course a very special alliance on the transatlantic nato all that good stuff us uk very very good friends final thoughts guys are you need to talk about the game talk about your show anything fans should know I'll leave the floor open to you. Brian, lead us off. Then, Mark, you can go. Just tell the fans whatever you want to tell them. Um, but for anybody who's enjoyed this, this interview this evening and wants to get a bit more of our, of our stuff and wants a different, I suppose, a different viewpoint on the NFL from this side of the world, um, we have three live shows a week. Um, you'll get them on Twitter, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and they're available in the podcast form, whatever you get your podcast. And we're on Twitter at IRENFL. Um, you know, pick us up and uh, send us any messages, you know, and 
Um, as for Sunday, all, all I can hope for is that the Giants be really competitive and, and give the Packers a game and we'll see how the chips fall come the fourth quarter. Mark? Yeah, I was just going to warn people that the other two co-hosts on our show are Broncos fans. Uh, so <laughs> just, you know, parental advisory warning on that. But part of the the fun is, like, like talking with you, John. Like, we just love talking football. And Mark, it's Do okay. The Giants beat the Broncos abuse. in the Super Bowl, too. It's okay. Broncos are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got the Sorry, across across the board. No, you're all right. You got the hoodoo across the board in relation to it. Oh, look, I'm just gonna cry myself to sleep with the six Super Bowl rings. Are there any Bills four. fans okay. you guys can co-host with? Can we bring in a Bills fan too? No. <laughs> Do you know what we should we should have Bills and Vikings fans as their own factory of sadness, like the eight Super Bowl <laughs> losses between them? That would be the way to do that would be the way to go. Um, but look, you know, very much just like talking to you, really enjoyed chatting to you, really enjoyed, even though it's two Giants fans and talking to a bunch of Giants fans probably listening in. Um, whole thing is it's still football, it's still great, whether it's this side of the Atlantic, your side of the Atlantic. Can't wait to welcome you over and you get to experience it over in London again. And uh, pleasure talking to you, man. Yeah, hopefully we'll have a chance to meet up out, guys, whether it's whether it's on Saturday or at the game on, on Sunday. Love to chat with you guys and you guys can come hang out in the radio booth. We can we can have a good time. Appreciate the time, guys. Make sure you go check out the Irish NFL show on all your favorite podcast platforms, guys. Thanks so much. I'll see you out there in a couple days. That's Brian O'Leary. That's Mark Cockrell from the Irish NFL show. We thank them for joining us on the Giants Little Podcast, which is, again, brought to you by PSE&G, energy efficiency for game day and every day. For the guys, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainer, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.